chapter ten of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain our dreams pursue our dead and do not find miss vincent's engagement met with everybody's approval with the one exception of the marriageable young ladies of the neighbourhood who thought that alan carew had made a foolish choice and might certainly have done better for himself what good could come of marrying a girl who was neither english nor french who had been educated in a parisian convent and who drove to salisbury every sunday morning to hear mass what uncomfortable sundays they will have one of these young ladies remarked to bessie edgefield and then how horrid for him to have a wife of a different creed they are sure to quarrel about religion isn't the vicar dreadfully shocked my father is rather sorry that mr carew should marry a roman catholic there is always the fear that he might go over to rome of course he is sure to do that it will be the only way to stop the quarrelling she will make him a pervert mrs mornington on the other hand flattered herself that by her marriage with a member of the english church her niece would be brought to see the errors of rome and would very soon make her appearance in the faculty pew beside her husband lady emily cherished the same hope since although a less ardent churchwoman than mrs mornington she believed in anglicanism as the surest road to salvation and she dwelt also upon the difficulties that might arise by and by about the poor dear children talking of those potential beings as if they were already on the scene here general vincent tried to reassure the anxious mother i have talked to your son he said and he is willing that it shall be with him and suzette as it was with her dear mother and me if there are children the sons are to follow their father's religion the daughters their mother's well i suppose that kind of compromise is best though no roman priest will approve of it and then there is the sad idea of the brothers and sisters being separated by their antagonistic opinions i hope suzette will come round to our way of thinking i doubt it very much she is as firm as a rock dear girl she is so young and there is plenty of time while other people were thinking about these things for him alan had no room for thought of any kind unless fond meditation upon the image of the girl he loved could be dignified by the name of thought for alan life was a perpetual ecstasy to be with suzette in her own home at the grove on the links anywhere to be with her was all he needed for bliss for his sake his mother had prolonged her stay at beechhurst in order that the two young people might be together in the house where they were to live as man and wife it was alan's delight to make suzette familiar with her future home he wanted her to feel that this was the house in which she was to live that under her father's roof she was no longer at home that her books the multifarious trifles and prettinesses which her girlhood had accumulated might as well be transferred at once to the sunny bow-windowed upstair room which was to be her den it was now a plainly furnished matter-of-fact morning-room a room in which the admiral had kept his boots cigar-boxes and business documents and transacted the fussy futilities of his unoccupied life the mantelpiece which had been built up with shelves and artful cupboards for the accommodation of the admiral's cigars would serve excellently to set off suzette's zoological china 
her dresden pugs and rats and lobsters and pigs and rabbits her morsels of silver and scraps of wrought copper would adorn the shelves and all her little odds and ends and never to be finished bits of fancy work could be neatly stowed away in the cupboards but won't you want those dear little cubby houses for your own cigars asked suzette it seems too cruel to rob you of your uncle's snuggery i've no doubt you smoke just as much as the admiral not cigars my humble pipe and pouch can stow themselves away anywhere i only smoke cigars out hunting and i keep a box or two in the saddle-room for handiness no this is to be your room suzette i've imagined you in it until it seems so to belong to you that i feel i am taking a liberty in writing a letter here when are you going to bring the dresden bow-wows and the elephants and mice and lobsters and donkeys all about of a size by the way oh i could not possibly spare them suzette answered quickly making for the door they had come in to look at the room and for suzette to give her opinion as to the colour and style of the new papering it was to be a morris paper although that would entail new carpet and curtains and a complete revolution as to colouring spare them echoed Allen, detaining her who wants you to spare them when will you bring them with you when are you coming to take possession of the house which is no home for me until you are mistress of it this was by no means the first time the question had been asked again and again had Allen pleaded that his marriage might be soon there was no reason why he should wait for his wife his position was established his house was ready a house as well found as that flagship had been on whose quarter-deck the admiral had moved as a king why should he wait he could never love his future wife more dearly than he loved her now all the framework of his life would be out of gear till he had brought her home to the house which seemed joyless and empty for want of her when is it to be suzette when am i to be completely happy what are you not happy par exemple you talked about overwhelming happiness when i said yes that was the promise of happiness it lifted me to the skies but it was only the promise i am pining for the realization i want you all to myself to have and to hold for ever and ever beside my hearth interwoven with my life mine always and always no longer a bright capricious spirit glancing about me like a gleam of sunshine and vanishing like the sunbeam but a woman my very own of one mind and of one heart with me suzette if you love me you will not spin out the time of dreams you will give yourself to me really and for ever there was an earnestness in his tone that scared her the blushes faded from her cheeks and she looked at him pale and startled and sudden tears rushed to her eyes you said you would give me time she faltered time to know you better to be certain and then recovering her gaiety in an instant now Allen, it is too bad of you did i not tell you that i would not be married till my one and twentieth birthday why do you tease me to alter the date surely you don't want to marry an infant and your birthday will be on the twenty-third of june said Allen rather sullenly nearly a year from now nearly a year from october to june what odd ideas you have about arithmetic and now i must run and find lady emily we are going to drive to morton towers together Allen made way for her to pass and followed her downstairs vexed and disheartened his mother was to leave him next day and then there would be one house the less in which he and suzette could meet the house which was to be their home he had not visited mrs warnock since her nocturnal perambulation and he had prevented his mother paying her a second visit albeit the hope of a white peacock and a certain interest in the widow's personality 
had made lady emily anxious to call at the manor allan had found reasons for putting off any such call without saying one disparaging word about the lady he had heard of mrs warnock from suzette who reproached him for going no more to discombe i did not know you were so fickle she said i really think you have behaved abominably to poor mrs warnock she has always asked me why you don't go to see her and i am tired of inventing excuses suzette was at the manor every other day mrs warnock was teaching her to play the organ is it not sweet of her she asked allan and though i don't suppose she ever gave any one a lesson in her life till she began to teach me she has the teaching gift in a marked degree i love to learn of her i can play some simple things of haydn's not altogether badly perhaps you will do me the honour to come and hear me some day when i have got a little further i will go to hear you to-morrow if i may what then you have no objection to discombe in the abstract though you have cut poor mrs warnock for the last six weeks i was so much occupied with my mother and your mother wanted badly to call upon mrs warnock and you always put a stumbling-block in her way but i am happy to say lady emily is to have the white peacock all the same she is to have a pair of birds i have taken care of that like a good and thoughtful daughter when allan came back from the station after seeing his mother safely seated in the london train he found a letter from mrs warnock on the hall table a hand-delivered letter which had just arrived it was brief and to the point why have you deserted me allan have i unconsciously offended you or is there no room in your heart for friendship as well as love i hear of your happiness from suzette but i want to see you and your sweetheart roaming about the gardens here as in the old days before you were engaged lovers now that lady emily is leaving beechhurst you will have time to spare for me the letter seemed a reproach and he felt that he deserved to be reproached by her how kind she had been how sympathetic how interested in his love story and what an ingrate he must appear in her eyes he did not wait for the following morning and the music lesson lest mrs warnock should think he went to discombe only on suzette's account he set out immediately after reading that reproachful little letter and walked through the lanes and copses to the manor-house it was four o'clock when he arrived and mrs warnock was at home and alone the swelling tones of that wonderful organ answered his question on the threshold no beginner could play with that broad strong touch which gave grandeur to the simple phrases of an agnus dei by palestrina she started up as allan was announced and went quickly to meet him giving him both her hands this is so good of you she exclaimed then you are not offended and you have forgiven me my dear mrs warnock why should i be offended i have received nothing but kindness from you i thought you might be angry with me for refusing the invitation to your luncheon-party it would have been very impertinent of me to be angry when i know what a recluse you are it is a month since you were here a whole calendar month why didn't you bring lady emily to see me but perhaps she did not wish to come was that so no mrs warnock he answered coldly my mother wished to call upon you and you prevented her yes why did you do that dare i be frank with you yes 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 you cannot be too frank i love you allan always remember that you are to me as a second son her warmth startled and scared him his face flushed hotly and he stood before her in mute embarrassment if the secret of the past was indeed the guilty secret which he had suspected there was utter shamelessness in this speech of hers allan why are you silent because there are some things that can hardly be said least of all by a man of my age to a woman of yours 
there is nothing that you can say to me alan about myself or my regard for you that can bring a blush to my face or to yours there is nothing in my life of which i need to be ashamed in your sight or in the sight of my son forgive me forgive me if my secret thoughts have sometimes wronged you there has been so much to surprise and mystify me your agitation on hearing my father's name your painful embarrassment when i brought my mother here and last and most of all your secret visit to beechhurst when my father was there what you know of that yes i saw your face at the open window looking in at him she clasped her hands and there were tears in her eyes yes she faltered after a silence of some moments i was looking at the face i had not seen for nearly thirty years the face that looked at me like a ghost from the past and had no knowledge of me no care for me i knew that he could not be dead i have sought for him in the spirit world again and again and again in long days and nights of waiting in my dreams in long far-reaching thoughts that have carried my soul away from this dull earth but there was no answer not a thought not a breath out of that unseen world where my spirit would have touched his had he died while he was young and while he still loved me but he lived and grew old like me and found a new love and so we are as wide apart as if we had never met i stood in the darkness outside your window for nearly an hour looking at him listening to his voice when he spoke the dear kind voice that was not changed it is true then you knew and loved my father years ago yes knew him and loved him and would have been his wife if it had been for his happiness to marry me think of that alan i was to have been his wife and i gave him up for his own sake why did you do that why should you not have married him because i was only a poor girl and he was a gentleman the only son of a rich widow and his mother would never have forgiven him for such a marriage i knew nothing of that when he asked me to be his wife i only knew that we loved each other truly and dearly but just before the day that was to have been our wedding day his mother came to me and told me that if i persisted in marrying him i should be the bane of his life it would be social extinction for him to marry me social extinction i remember those words though i hardly knew then what they meant i was not eighteen alan and i knew less of the world than many children of eight but i did not give up my happiness without a struggle there was strong persuasion brought to bear upon me and at last i yielded for his sake and blighted his life exclaimed alan my mother is the best of women and the best and kindest of wives but i have always known that my father's marriage was a loveless marriage well he went on recovering himself quickly apprehensive lest he should cheapen his mother's position by revealing too much you acted generously and no doubt for the best in making that sacrifice and all has worked round well you married a good man and secured a position of more importance than my father's smaller means could have given you position means she repeated in bitterest scorn oh alan don't think so poorly of me as to suppose that it was mr warnock's wealth which attracted me i married him because he was kind and sympathetic and good to me in my loneliness a pupil at a german conservatoire living with stony-hearted people who only cared for me to the extent of the money that was paid for my board and lodging and who were always saying hard things to me because they had agreed to take me so cheaply too cheaply they said i used to feel as if i were cheating them when i sat at their wretched meals and i was thankful that i had a wretched appetite you were cruelly used dear mrs warnock i can just remember my grandmother and i know she was a hard woman she had no right to interfere with her son's disposal of his life no she had no right if i had known even as much of the world as i know now when miss marjoram mrs beresford's messenger came to me i would have acted differently 
i know now that a gentleman need not be ashamed of marrying a penniless girl if there is nothing against her but her poverty but then i believed what miss marjoram told me believed that i should blight the life of the man who loved me with such generous self-sacrificing love why should he alone be generous and i selfish and indifferent to his welfare but how did he suffer you to sacrifice yourself at his mother's bidding he had no power to stop me it was all settled without his knowledge i hope he was not very sorry dear dear george so generous so true so noble oh how i loved him how i have loved him all my life all my life my husband knew that i had no heart to give him that i could be his obedient wife but that i could never love him as i had loved again her sobs choked her speech she threw herself into a chair and abandoned herself to that passionate grief dear mrs warnock forgive me for having revived these sorrowful memories i was wrong i ought not to have spoken no no there is nothing to forgive it does me good to talk of the past with you alan with you not with any one else and now you know why my heart went out to you from the first why you are to me almost as a son almost as dear as my own son and your future wife as my daughter it does me good to talk to you of that time so long and long ago it does me good to talk of my dead self i have never forgotten the past has always been dearer to me than anything in this life that came afterwards i do not think my father has forgotten any more than you have mrs warnock i know that there has always been a cloud over his life the shadow of one sad memory i have felt and understood this without knowing whence the shadow came he was too true-hearted to forget easily mrs warnock said gently and we were both so young i was his first love as he was mine and when a first love is pure and strong as ours was it must be first and last must it not alan yes he answered half doubtfully remembering certain sketchy loves of his own and hoping that they could hardly be ranked as love so that he might believe that his passion for suzette was essentially the first essentially if not actually no i have never forgotten mrs warnock repeated musingly seating herself at the piano and softly touching the notes now and then playing a few bars of pensive melody sotto voce as she talked now a phrase from an adagio of beethoven's now a resolution from a prelude by bach dropping gravely down into the bass with softly repetitive phrases from piano to pianissimo melting into silence like a sigh no i have never forgotten and i have suffered from the pains as well as the pleasures of memory before my son was born and after there was a long interval of darkness when i lived only in the past when the shadows of the past were more real to me than the living things of the present when my husband's face was dim and unreal and that dear face from the past was always near me with the kind smile that comforted me in my desolate youth yes i loved him alan loved him and gave him up for his own sake and now you tell me my sacrifice was useless that even with the wife his mother chose for him the kind good wife he has not been altogether happy his life has been placid studious kindly and useful it may be that he was best fitted for that calm secluded life it may be that if you had taken the more natural and the more selfish course and in so doing parted him for ever from his mother who was a proud woman capable of lifelong resentment it may be that remorse might have blighted his life and that even your love would not have consoled him under the conviction that he had broken his mother's heart i know that after her strong-minded masterful fashion she adored him he was all she had in this world to love or care for and it is quite possible that a lasting quarrel with him might have killed her dear mrs warnock pray do not think that your sacrifice was altogether in vain no such self-surrender as that can be without some good fruit i do not pretend to be a holy person but i do believe in the power of goodness 
and consider dear friend your life has not been all unhappy you had a kind and good husband good he was more than good and for over a year of our married life i was a burden to him he was an exile from the home he loved for my sake for me who ought to have brightened his home for him but that was only a dark interval said alan remembering what mrs mornington had told him of the long residence at grindelwald and the birth of the heir in that remote spot there were happier days afterwards yes we had a few peaceful years here before death took him from me and while our boy was growing in strength and beauty and in these long years of widowhood music has been your comforter in your devotion to art you have lived the higher life yes she answered with an inspired look striking a triumphant chord music has been my comforter music has conjured back my dead father my lost lover music has been my life and my hope End of chapter 10